Hi, it's Thursday, and I actually got somebody uh, running, sending uh, to a sponsor, talk about the Haftarah, as I was mentioning last week. So, uh, how you like that? I'll say a few words about the Haftarah. The sponsors are the Pollock family the, from Columbus, Ohio. Uh, friends of mine, they see them when they live part of the time in Baltimore, Kathy and Paul. And uh, anyway, if people are interested, then I'll uh, do it. Uh, as you know, this week's uh, Haftarah is beginning a book of Malachim. You have intrigue and politics because of the dying King David. Now here, and in other words, in the attempt, the what they call the coup of Adonijah, the coup of Adonijahu. But it's not really a coup. That's what I want to just talk about for a few minutes. We, uh, this week's probably talk about politics. It's actually an uncomfortable topic because uh, not talking about Nevu or anything like this is a grab who should be the king after David dies. Um, and the king apparently didn't indicate exactly uh, what he wanted. That's what it seems to be from the story. Until Bathsheba, through an intrigue, you know, with Nasan, uh, you know, in, in, informs him and gets him to do it. Uh, and the Haftarah is only part of it. The story is, goes on afterwards much more dramatically. The long and the short of it goes like this. David Melch is 40 years a king, or so. Uh, listen closely. The, the last big event, if you read through the history of the reign of King David, which is the book of Shmuel, Shmuel Bays, that's what it's about. So it takes you up to a certain point, or at least it seems to. You follow from the death of Saul, and then the unclear but very definite story that David becomes the king of all the Shvatim, and then through his different adventures and stuff like that, over what we call a 40-year reign, up to a certain point. Uh, the key uh, part of the story, as I understand, is the last decade. As we all know, David dies when he's 70 years old, uh, which is not that old, and uh, stuff started going south on him for a decade because the Bathsheba story, I believe, should come out around when he's 60 years old. Now, you can look all this up in the Seder Olam, right? the official from Chronology book. He discusses there, this from the Tanoim time, you know, how old this one was when this happened and so forth. So the story with Bathsheba happens, I believe, at the age of 60 or so. No, I take that back. Bathsheba is when Dub is like 57, 58, 59. Amnon rapes Tamar and is killed by Avshalom at the age of 60. And then the whole Avshalom business, I'm saying this for a reason, takes about seven years to play itself out, maybe even eight. So David, from the age of 60 to 67, 68, is involved with what you and I recall the whole Absalom business until it breaks into a full rebellion and has its uh, dramatic and somewhat tragic uh, denouement. Now, uh, I think, I'm assuming the people listening to this, even though I shouldn't assume that, most of you kind of know the basic stories in the Tanakh, and Absalom is killed by Yoav in battle. Remember, he's swinging from a tree. And King David had given orders, do not kill him. But Yov didn't anyway. And it goes even more than that. After it's all over, David is sobbing and crying. And Yov comes in and tells him, you better stop that and get your act together. Or I'll make you sorry. This will be a worse, he says, this will be a worse thing to happen to you than, than ever in your life. And David, realizing the realities, the power of realities, forces himself to stop crying and smile. But from then on, he hates Yov. And uh, so he's 67, 68 years old. See where I'm going? He's got about two years or so to live, two and a half years. 
something along those lines, to get even more once the rebellion of Absalom is over. <laughs> Excuse me. So then uh, David, who's not a young man, returns uh, to a lukewarm reception. Because remember, the whole country sided with his son. Um, very few people sided with David. And uh, that must have been a tremendous bummer. Uh, I think I've spoken about that in the past, where David kind of realizes that he's not highly thought of. And the Gemara has this in, in the form of a colloquy between him and Chushiark in the Mount of Olives. And uh, when David comes back, now that the rebellion is over, this guy Sheba ben Bichri raises the standard rule, and he gets a lot of followers. And David <coughs> has fired Yoav and has appointed someone else to be the general. But Yoav kills that guy, Amasa, and Yoav takes over and kills the rebel. And that rebellion is always, also suppressed. So David is mamish around the age of 68 or so at the time I'm talking about. Our story takes place l about two years later or so. <coughs> Maybe a little less. So it's really <coughs> recent events. I know it's at the beginning of Mlochem Aleph. I get that. But if you do the chronology, you see they're sort of like juxtaposed. And uh, actually, you know, the book of Shmuel Beis is a little bit deceptive because after the story ends with um, the suppression of the rebellion of that guy, Sheva ben Bechri, then they tell you a couple of other stories which whose chronology is very unclear about how uh, the Gibeonites wanted the death of the sons of Saul and then especially about the Malchamavis flying around Yerushalayim because of David's uh, you know, request to be punished that way and so on and so forth. Uh, but reading it, Pashup Shot, well, there's no Pashup Shot in this. But reading it, according to many commentators, those two stories are out of order. And really, the last chronological thing that happens in Shmuel is the end of Abshalom's rebellion and the end of Shem and Bechu's rebellion. And then you have our Haftorah uh, today. No, as a year goes by, two years go by, uh, the resentments are still fresh. David is still angry at Yo. We're never told. Listen closely. Maybe I didn't make myself clear. There was a rebellion by a guy named Sheba ben Bichri. David did not want Yoav to lead the uh, suppression of that rebellion. He had dismissed Yoav. He fired him uh, after the Abshalom business. But the guy he appointed to replace Yoav, first of all, was incompetent, and second of all, was killed by Yoav. So, hear me well. Yoav disobeys the king for the purpose of suppressing the rebellion, which saves the king. You see the, uh, the irony there? Is that disobeying? No, Yoav disobeyed the king by killing the other general, but then he assumed command of the troops and ensured that David would remain king. So you can't say that Yoav is like you know, a rebel or anything like that, but the situation must be very dicey. Here's David, 68, 69 years old. According to some interpretations, the reason he was cold was because he cut the, the, the clothing of, uh, of Shaul. In which case, there's no chronological connection with his getting old. In other words, he cut the, the, the garment of Saul back in Shmuel Aleph long, long ago. Why it hit David in the age of 68 or 69? I don't know, right? Why didn't he get it earlier in life? Ad uh, that they had to get the Avisha Gashinam, you know. Uh, but the other interpretation, if you look in the commentaries, is that, sub, listen closely, <coughs> Excuse me. subsequent to the suppression of the rebellion of Shabbat Bivikri, 
came the story where um, the angel of death appears, meaning that's the whole mice at the end of Shemuel Bays, where some, some sin was done, doesn't say what, and then David is given the choice, like a game show in reverse, you know, which of your punishments do you want? Uh, you know, do you want to be pursued by your enemies? I remember that was one of them for a couple of months. Or do you want, uh, I forget. The one he picked was a plague because uh, he says, I'll take my chances with God because he's a softy. Even though he says he'll, he'll bring the plague for three days, but I know he'll he'll do less than that. And that is indeed what happened. So according to Yisma Farshim, it must be a Chazal, uh, when David sees the Malchamovis, because that's part of the story, uh, this left him permanently scarred uh, mentally and, more importantly, uh, I guess physiologically, anatomically, because his blood got cold. That's how the way they say it. So in other words, he's freezing. Basically, it's, it'd be really cool if anybody out there is a psychologist, like, you know, what's the shot that you have this kind of reaction that expresses itself in and being very cold, is that like a Sigmund Freud's off? I don't know. But that's the only way of interpreting it. <clears throat> so that would explain, by the way, why he only gets this at the age of 68 or 69. Because the story happens when he's 68 or 69. So uh, this is the context now of our Haftorah today. And he hasn't named a successor. Okay. Uh, and the king does not seem to have clarified his relations with Yoav. I mean, is Yoav the commander-in-chief of the army or not? Is Yoav a rebel or not? Uh, notice that when he finally tells his son Shlomo to kill Yoav, which is later, next chapter in Blancham, it'll be the Haftorah, the end of Bracious and Baichi, uh, he won't say, uh, kill Yoav because he disobeyed me. Well, he kind of does. He says, he, he shed the blood of Amasa. But it sounds like, you know, because he was... Uh, he murdered Amasah in cold blood because he tricked him or something like that. The famous story, he said, bend down, and, you know, he, he shoved a sword in him. But uh, he doesn't say because he disobeyed me and assumed command of the army against my will. You know, uh, it, 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 that's something to Shalzachon, so to speak. But Yoav can smell the wind, and he sees the king is angry at him. And so you have a king who's now, uh, you know, uh, freezing, uh, if he saw the Malachamovas, that would explain that. Um, he doesn't have long to live. And Yoav, as we all know, picked the side of Adonio. Uh, now, Adonio is only described to us as, uh, well, it's unclear. Is it? it says, well, Atzavo, Aviv Yomi, I mean, there are hints that he's like Avshalom. Some of the languages are the same. He had 50, ri- 50 outriders, and he was tall, dark, and good, handsome. And Aniyam uh, Loch. Now, this is portrayed as a great crime. Uh, I'm well aware of that. Um, what's the crime exactly? I mean, he didn't kill the father, and he dis- didn't disobey the father. He wants to be the next king, and he's older. Shlomo was 12. He's older. You no, know, what precisely is... It? Do you call that murder uh, I guess, this is an interesting question to me. Uh, if the king had publicly said, I want Shlomo to be next king, perhaps that's a marble Malchus, I don't know. Uh, but that never happens. As you note, once the king actually publicly, that you have to read the next paragraph in the, in the book, 
Once the king actually says, I'm, I'm putting Shlomo in charge, Adonio backs off. So at the time he said it, the king is uh, out of it. He's sick, he's, he's uh, freezing, and uh, he hasn't named anybody. So Adonio is simply making a move. Notice it's not, it's not exactly a murder by Malchus. And uh, in fact, Adonio is not killed. He's killed later on by Shlomo under certain circumstances, but he's not killed here. So is this a coup? Uh, is this a revolution? Uh, you know, an uprising? I mean, not, not really. Uh, what are we told about Adonio? He smells a little bit like uh, Avshalom. Like I say, he was tall, dark, and handsome, and something like that. That uh, just like Avshalom, his father had never uh, criticized him or grounded him. It's a bad idea to raise a kid with no limitations whatsoever. You know, I'm wrong. It does not say that about Avshalom at all. It says about Amnon, <laughs> okay? Not Avshalom. Amnon, the oldest, was raised in that way. And I want to remind you, Amnon was going to be the next king, except that events obviously prevented that. But you don't find that David said, when his eldest was Amnon, who obviously was a spoiled brat, especially from the way he raped his sister, that uh, since he's, uh, you know, uh, being raised this way, he's not right to be the next king, and I better concentrate on someone else. D there's no uh, indication of that. So, uh, and the Chazal, by the way, criticized David as a father, you know, because this also Yolda Acher of Shalom, because Adonio in this week's Parsha was born after Av Shalom, which cannot be true. Uh, that's why they read it as a moralistic thing. No, let's put it this way. If the rebellion of Av Shalom took place when the king was in his 60s, 67 actually, uh, and the first appearance of Av Shalom is when he kills his brother when David is 60 years old, it can't be Adonio was born afterwards because then he would be nine years old or eight years old or seven years old, you know. So it's not to be taken chronologically, but when it says he was born after Avshalom, what it means is that David made the same mistake. He didn't learn from round one. Didn't he see that bringing up Amnon this way was a bad idea? So therefore, he should bring Adonio up, not in the same way. Uh, he should have reproved him and give more Musa and all the rest of it. Okay. But it doesn't necessarily say over there that Amnon was wicked. I just want to make that clear. Doesn't say Amnon was wicked. I'm sorry, keep getting the main thing. Doesn't say Adonio was wicked. Uh, now, it's very interesting that he, Adonio, who wins the support of Yov and Eviosar, known as the commander in chief of the army in the Congo. Now, uh, these are two from guys. Uh, Yoav, as I said before, knows that a year before, two years before, he got David ticked off by killing Avshalom and then killing Amasa and so on and so forth, even though he was commander in the army. So he's obviously afraid that the next king, if it's not a guy on his team, will, will kill Yov or something like that. Which, of course, happens. Which is a little bit of a bummer, because Yov was the great hero of the Jews. But that's how politics turned out. Evyasser is not Pasha at all, at least not to me. Evyasser was the Kohen Gadol during the time of David. He was the sole survivor of the massacre of Nov back in the time of Shaul in, in the Book of Shmuel Aleph. Uh, he stuck with the king before he was king already as part of his inner circle. And uh, now, for Yasser is uh, joining, uh, you know, let's put it this way, Yasser is joining Adonijahu. So there must have been indications that, uh, you know, the Shlomo, when he comes through, is going to favor Tzadok. That's more or less the intrigues that you find in the Haftar today. That's the way 
it seems to to play itself out. Now here's the part that hits me. What exactly? If you tell me this is if you tell me this is a story of politics, that's one thing, and you can certainly just read it as a political story. Um, so it's not exactly the murder of Malchus. We don't even know what the terms mean. Uh, David had been elected king. You and I, I repeat, he was elected king. Today we have, it's become hardwired into Judaism that the house of David has a divine right to be kings. The whole doctrine that was in European history, the divine right of kings, originates with the King David story. And Ad I mean, down till today, you know, the Mashiach and all that's connected uh, inextricably with the Davidic dynasty, like I mentioned the other day, even with the Solomonic dynasty, uh, which is kind of interesting. It's part of the Anemamans uh, and all the rest of it. Even though nobody today knows if they came from David and there are hundreds of Rebbes and other people who claim they come from David and and uh, they have Yichas briefs and things like that. I have one also on my mother's side. Uh, but that doesn't mean anything. No, this is not a real. Nobody has records going all the way back to know they're even Jewish. You hear what I said? Nobody listening to this podcast knows for knows for knows for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure, they're really Jewish because you don't have Bayesian records that go all the way back the way they used to have once upon a time. Uh, up to the time of Ezra and Chemiv, certainly, you weren't Jewish unless every generation you had a hempic or something. You, know, you had a, a, a real Bayesian sort of ascertain and, and, and testify that you're Jewish and your children are Jewish after you and all the rest of it. Which is why when you read the book of Ezra, he's described with the full lineage. Ezra, been this way, been this guy, been this guy, been this guy, been this guy. Ben El is a Menorah and a coin. You know, in other words, uh, Ezra could actually trace every single person in his family back to, um, to the forebear. You can't do that. I can't do that. The most people can say today is they come to play some Rashi or something like that. And everybody knows Rashi is reputed to come from Yohanan Sandler, who comes from Dovin Amalek. You see what I'm saying? In other words, you, you, that's where you make these leaps. But nobody actually has real uh, proof, halakhic proof even, that, um, that they're Jewish. Kabbalah come that they come from Dovin. Having said that, we still say, all the rest But if you go back in history, you'll see that when David was con- contending for it to be king, uh, they didn't take him in until Shaul, uh, Shaul died. And even then, most of the tribes didn't take him in until he was the last guy standing. When Ishbosheth was killed, and Shaul and Yonason were killed, and Avner was killed, and so on and so forth, so there's nobody left standing except David, and the tribes took him in. And they elected him as king, and it says over there, if you look in Shmuel Bay's at the beginning somewhere, it says that they all got together in some big meeting, and uh, they made like a contract or something like that, like a Magna Carta. And I remember there were Doc and other people say it was a Magna Carta. He had to promise not to be uh, a tyrant. Okay? He had to promise not to be a tyrant. Now, it's easier said than done, but nevertheless, you see the Jewish people didn't take him stomach, uh, you know, uh, uh, just at sight. Now, the reason I mention all this is it was elected office. It doesn't say once you're gone, you know, um, your children all come after you. And even if that's the case, it doesn't necessarily mean you get to pick which of your children should be king. Imagine, for example, if David had, I'm making this up, but David had five kids. And Develt, the Oilam, wanted number three. And David said, no, no, I want number two, or number three, or number five. Someone other than the one you want. Uh, 
How's it work then? You know what I'm saying? The people are willing to take a member of the Davidic dynasty that may not necessarily be the one that the person himself wants. Uh, that's kind of interesting. Now, if you think I'm just making this up, this is essential to the rest of the story of the Davidic dynasty because the way it works out is because of the intrigues in today's Parsha, Shlomo ends up being king without having to go through a process of promising the Magna Carta and getting the you know the people and all on his side and all the rest of it. Uh, it's just a smooth transition because David puts him on the throne while David is still alive. And indeed, Shlomo turned into a tyrant. Or at least, let's put it this way, he was perceived that way because when he died, as we all know, they broke away from the Malchus-based David because they told his successor, Rechavim, we want a Magna Carta from you. And Rechavim, under the advice of his uh, young uh, friends, refused to sign a Magna Carta. And then the people said, then we quit. So now, if it's a basic element of Jewish religion that it has to be the Davidic dynasty, how could the 10 and 12 tribes all quit? In other words, I'm talking about something that happened before Yerub ben Nevot was chosen and eventually made a golden calf religion. At the very, very beginning of the story, when they said, Yisrael, or words to that effect, the people were still from. They just didn't like the David dynasty, or at least the guy that was being picked to run the David dynasty. So in our story, in our Haftar, David is old. He doesn't seem to have designated yet, at least publicly, who should be the king. Bathsheba is complaining to him. He said, you promised me that would be my son. But apparently this wasn't public. And uh, therefore, Adonio makes this move. Right? He makes his move. Now, in the event, the king has really decided for Shlomo, who was much younger. Um, you can hear that a lot of people wouldn't be happy with that. After all, uh, Bathsheba was involved with Dovin in this whole big uh, scandal. And uh, the first baby from Dovin Bathsheba's relationship died. The second baby was Shlomo. Um... I can totally hear it that people say, oh, yes, I'd rather have done a yo. I mean, at least his mother was a legitimate uh, wife of uh, King David. Bashev was uh, someone else's wife that the king stole. Uh, and even if you tell me, if you're mine and you see what they mean is that um, he, didn't, he didn't commit a halachic technical violation, but it was certainly an immoral thing to do. Uh, that's why you have the 51st Psalm, right? That, uh, you know, whatever he says over there, it was the wrong thing to do. Now, I repeat, halakhically, from the legalistic perspective, which is, of course, important, so it couldn't be an adultery, otherwise David would not have been able to marry her when Uriah died. So then Shlom would really have a problem. So, therefore, must have been a get somewhere along the way. You know, this kind of get, that kind of get. But it doesn't mean that was a great thing. And... Uh, you can totally hear the Adonio people, maybe even Yov and the others, saying uh, he shouldn't be king. You know, the whole, the, the whole business with uh, his mother is is not a good business, right? After all, you know, it was it was not that long before this event happened. I told you, if Shlomo was twelve, so then David was fifty eight when he was born. So do some numbers, and you'll see. You know, the whole story about Shlomo happened when David was fifty six, fifty seven years old, and. Uh, that's within uh, recent memory, so to speak. And you see the people are very uncomfortable with that. Or many of the elites are uncomfortable with that. Including Yov and Eviasar and some of these other guys as well. So 
it's a it's reading backwards to say, oh, how could you go and uh, you know go against the Malchus based David or anything like that? Adonio is not really Avshalom. Avshalom tried to kill the father. I just want to be clear about that. You know, maybe he was spoiled. You know, it says that. Uh, that's true. Vlatsavo, Avi, Miyami, Yamima, wherever those words are. Maybe he was spoiled. But um, Shlomo will grow up to be somewhat spoiled. You know, at least that's what the Chazal say when he married Bas Power and these other things that he did. He kind of complains about that himself in Kohelis. But uh, Avshalom tried to kill the father. Just want to make a that that's a crossing a line. <laughs> okay, that's a different story. Now, in the case of Adonio, it didn't work simply because David still had it in him to block the move and put his own young son Shlomo on the throne while he's still alive. That's how the story goes. And brought everybody in, and so notice the father put the son on the father's throne. And that was a public demonstration of who he wants to be the next king, and David still had enough authority that that kind of settled the issue. Uh, but where does that leave Adonio and the people who follow him? There's your problem. Okay, There's their own, They're on the wrong side. Now, here the problem is if you try to get halachic on the one hand, or not halachic on the other. And the reason I say is because the halachic system is not clear on politics. I've said it many times. So what exactly is a Mori Mamalchus? Uh, and can a member of the Malchus family himself be guilty of Mori Mamalchus? And if you're favoring one prince over another prince to be the king, knows you're loyal to the dynasty, just favor one over the other. Is that called Mori Mamalchus? Uh, these things are totally not clear. And what makes matters worse the Merba Malchus is one of those things in the halacha that are not subject to due process. Whoever the king decides the Merba Malchus, that's the Merba Malchus. So uh, you don't necessarily have to evade him, and doesn't there be hasra, and th- that kind of thing. Uh, the perfect example I'm talking about is when King Saul killed out the Nov Irak Ohanim. Uh, he thought that he's doing the right thing, and he re- really did. I mean, Saul was a from guy. He just was a victim of that law, which said you don't have to prove a treason. And if it looks like treason, the king could decide that it was treason, and even though the Kohanim in the story of Nob protested that they were not really backing David and being rebels to the king, he chose not to believe him, and he killed him. Uh, was he right or was he wrong? Well, in his mind, he was right. I'm simply saying that once you have an area of the law in which you don't necessarily have to follow the law, that becomes problematic. You understand? And in Jewish law, like in many laws, there are, you know, lacuna, there are holes here and there. Uh, we have the martial law in, in modern American law, you know. And, you know, so what if a soldier shoots somebody during the martial law, whatever. And um, the, the, the procedures are not as rigid. And so if David regarded somebody as a murmur, they go kill him. This is the famous defense of why David killed Uriachiti. They was a murmur, if you look at the Mafarshim, especially the Maral, when Uriah said, you know, uh, my general Adoni Yoav is out in the field, he didn't mean it in a bad way. So he wasn't really a Marva Malchus. But the Maral said like this, but David has the right to judge him as one, meaning I put a terrible weapon in your hands to say you can ju- judge almost anything at any time as a Marva Malchus. So this then goes back once again to the halachic problem Malik of which we don't know the, for, with any clarity, what exactly is a Malach? Uh, is a king a kind of a tyrant? Does he have by, by that I mean does he have the right to be a tyrant, or uh, or not? And if he doesn't have the right to be tyrant, 
What prevents him from being a tyrant? <laughs> okay? If the king is in charge of the army and the police and everything else, and wants to be a tyrant, what out there blocks him from being a tyrant? Uh, this is Machlokas in the Gemara already. Uh, Rav and Shmuel, I believe, somewhere in Sanhedrin, where they say, could a Melech be going to be a dictator or not? Because Shmuel Anavi warned him, if you get a king, you'll have a dictator. And one says that that's talk of the way the truth is. And the other one says, no, he was just scaring them by saying King doesn't have a halachic right to be a dictator, but he will become one because that's the nature of the beast. And so you end up with a story in this week's parsha, as far as I'm concerned, I'm talking about the Haftorah, which is uh, very twisted because you have David, he apparently it's not publicly announced who the next one is. You have people lining up with different candidates, in this case, Adoni Yahu. Uh, the people who join him are serious people. Yahu is not some yachts. Right? Uh, they don't necessarily mean anything bad to David. They're not out to kill him. And nevertheless, they're all eventually going to be judged as as, uh, as murder of Malchus's or something like that. But yes and no, because when David dies, he doesn't say to Shlomo will kill Yo because he was a murder of Malchus. He has other reasons, has other excuses, let's put it that way. But it's pretty clear that Shlomo kills Adonai Yo because he regards him as a potential, potential murder of Malchus. And if I remember correctly, Adonio says the public was on my side. Because the story is, after it's all over, and Adonio says, okay, I lost, so you be king and I won't be the king. And, um, and Shlomo said, uh, I'm going to be a king now, as long as you are totally non-political, you can live. So, uh, move to Lakewood, sit in the cola all day, and don't do anything else. And if you do like that, play no role whatsoever in politics, then it'll be fine, otherwise not. And Adonio makes a mistake of deviating from that. Uh, well, not exactly, but he said he wanted to marry Abishagashanamis. But I remember in that context, he says to Basheva, Adonio, you know the public wanted me. Right? But things turned out otherwise. You know the public wanted me, which is just very interesting. Um, that could be read positively or negatively. You could say, well, he flattered the public and he seduced them to, uh, in a demagogic fashion the way Absalom did. Or you could say, no, he was a, a gavra. The public wanted him. And then the question becomes like this. If the public wants this son of David, and David wants a different son, so who, who has the right? You know, who, who's the one who, who has the zechus? And apparently it wasn't so clear. Because I repeat, they're not rebelling against the dynasty. It's, it's a question of choose people from within the dynasty. So uh, you end up, therefore, with the story of a very, very messy situation, right? David left behind a very messy situation. This is in contrast with the Parsha of the Week, and when Avram Avinu did his best to leave behind a non-messy situation. Uh, it could have been messy. He had Yishmael, but he made sure that Yishmael didn't impinge on Yitzhak. He had six kids, like I mentioned yesterday, in his 140s, when Avram was an old man. But by Yishalchemi, al Yitzhak, al Yitzhak, whatever. He made sure they're out of the way. Notice Avram took a clear and bold steps while he was alive to arrange an orderly succession of his affairs. David apparently did not. And uh, that's just very interesting. You understand? That's very interesting because um, Avram was older, but Avram's not a king, but Avram clearly had a, a spiritual legacy he had in mind, right? That seems to be pretty obvious. Does David and Melch have a spiritual legacy in mind? I don't know. By that I mean, Shlomo's young. If you look in the book of Divrei Yomim, 
Dove is giving all these speeches to Slum before he dies and says, I know you're young and untried, you know, and in his deathbed he just says, stay from, remember, the kid's 12 years old, so what do you give somebody who's not in Bar Mitzvah? You just say, stay from, right? And Shlom, if he did any learning, must have been after he's 12 or, you know, a lot of it. And, uh, you know, it's David has, doesn't have the luxury to, to organize his affairs in a non-messy way. If Shlomo had been 20, 30, 40 years old, I guess it would have been different. But Shlomo is a kid, and uh, he's going to have to learn a lot of things the hard way, which he complains about later in Kohelis. Uh This being the case, David wasn't dealt the, the same kind of hand that Avram Avinu was. But uh, I conclude by saying that you see over here the very interesting contrast between the two situations. Avram, who is clearly focused on the spiritual legacy, uh, you know, has no intention of letting these other kids get in the way of that. David is bequeathing not a spiritual but a political political legacy. David was the first real king. Or if you want to say Shaul, if that's what you want to say. David was the first real king. Uh, he was, was in charge of all the tribes. That's a tightrope to watch, to walk. It's very hard for somebody to be king of all the Jews uh, because you've got to satisfy a lot of different contradictory types. It's so hard to be the king of the Jews that after Dublin and Shlomo, it never happened again. You see? Uh, now one gets the impression that there wasn't a process formally in there to make sure everybody gets a king. They run through this Magna Carta business. Because David didn't run through that gauntlet. I'll tell you again. You to go take a look at Shlomo Bays, you'll see. Um, if they would have done that as part of the regular process of taking on a king and they would have stuck to their uh, promises, the House of David would have had an easier time than it had. Anyway, those are just a few ideas that struck me when you look at this very interesting political uh, haftorah that we have today.